Welcome to Hill City. My name's Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Thanks. Uh, It was funny, I was watching and listening to some sermons over the past couple weeks. I don't know, does anybody like listening to sermons online from other churches? Okay, a few of us. Um, And it was funny, all the ones I watched had a guy in a t-shirt who came up, nothing wrong with t-shirts by the way, but who came up and said, all right, all right, so happy you guys are here, we're so excited for today, how about them, and then the sports team name. So <laughs> I, I guess you could say, you know, Broncos, Rockies, Nuggets, Kristen's waiting for me to mention a team she likes. Um, <laughs> But I just thought it was funny because I was watching all of these and thinking, man, I am really not that hype guy pastor, which is totally fine that those people are, but that is just not who I am. Uh, and I kind of get up at the start of every sermon that I do and say the same thing. I just say, hi, my name's Hannah. Welcome to Hill City. And then, you know, go straight into it. And I don't wave my arms a lot. My face does not do a hundred different contortions. Um, I am not, people would not say that I'm a super expressive person. And sometimes when I tell a joke in the middle of a sermon, nobody gets it. And there's just (laughs) silence or like one or two people smirking because my tone of voice has been serious the whole way through. (laughs) So they're like, I don't know if I should laugh at that or not. And. The thing is, if I expected myself to be those pastors that I was listening to, if I expected uh, myself to be somebody else, I would be really disappointed. It's funny because John, almost every time before I get up and preach, and he didn't do it today, which isn't good for this illustration, but he does it almost every time. He says, Hannah, just go up there and be the most Hannah that you can be. Just be the, the absolutely most Hannah you can be. And every time he said that, I've kind of gone, well, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I mean, if I was absolutely the most Hannah I could be, people would find out really quickly that I'm kind of awkward and uh, I have a hard time in big groups and I say um a lot. <laughs> and part of me is still the, the junior high kid who knew way more about Lord of the Rings than any any person should ever know about Lord of the Rings, unless you're Tolkien or Stephen Colbert. So it's just this whole, you know, <laughs> this whole, <laughs> see the joke, like it comes a little later. Uh, it's this whole thing that if you are expecting yourself to live up to some sort of cut and dry standard of what the person you imagine, the role you're supposed to fulfill, whether it's being the ideal mom, or standing up and, you know, giving the ideal sermon, or whatever else, you're going to be disappointed, because you're not them, you're you. And I am a compilation, like all of us, of experiences, and talents, and interests, and limits, and faults. Uh, I'm a compilation of nature, and nurture, and upbringing, and memories, and family history, And yet, I am fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe who gave his son so I could be a child of God and grow deeper in relationship with him and become most truly who he's always meant me to be. Not a doppelganger of anybody else, 
but who Hannah's supposed to be. And the same can be said of you if you've given your life to Jesus, that God wants you to be the ultimate person that he's created you to be, not somebody else. He's not looking for you to be the typical church person who sort of has a plastic smile and shakes hands and says, God bless you. Not that any of those things are necessarily wrong. Maybe the plastic smile. Uh, But that we believe as Christians that God's transformative power allows us uh, to be in relationship with him and act out of that security to be ourselves, to act out of our giftings, our limitations, everything else. For the last several weeks, we've been going through a series called Rooted, which focuses on the big questions that believers need to address in their walk with God. And the focus of those big questions has been more internal. Um, How do you communicate with God? Who is God? Where is he in suffering? And we're now shifting. We're kind of at a halfway point where we are shifting away from more of those internal questions to questions about how we live out of our Christian identity. How do we live out our relationship with God in this world? And how do we, as believers, as children of God, take our place in fulfilling his story? And the question this week is, how can I make the most of my life? This is a really big question. It's so big, we're going to take two weeks to talk about it. But I think there's actually a couple things we have to figure out before we can even answer this question. How can I make the most of my life? First, we have to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. In other words, our position and our purpose. And there's a lot packed into answering those questions. And for some reason, I chose to just give you a whole chunk of scripture with this too. So hang with me. We're going to first answer who we are and what we're supposed to be doing before we can talk about the question of making the most of our lives. Like I mentioned, we all have a story. We all have a conglomeration of uh, experience and different factors that make us who we are. And humans are actually uh, storied beings. That means we make sense of life through story. We look at our past and we put them into a timeline, our story. And uh, if we believe in a false story about who we are or what we're supposed to be doing, then, then we'll have some really false expectations about how we're supposed to live life. Like I mentioned before, if we expect to live some sort of churchy ideal of a Christian life, then we will dig ourselves deeper and deeper into despair because we're never going to live up to that image we have in our head. Let's say you believe a story where God is mainly a rule keeper. That's what he's obsessed with. And keeping the rules is the most important thing you can do with your life. And when you, like everyone else, fails at keeping those rules, you see yourself as a horrible rule breaker who has to constantly be trying to uh, remake yourself by doing good things. Your purpose is trying to make up for the bad things you do on a regular basis. So that would be your story. Your position would be rule breaker. Your uh, purpose would be, oh, I got to try to do all these things to make up for it. Maybe you believe a story where there is no God and there is no meaning to life. Well, at very best, then you believe you are a chance development of biology 
and that your purpose is following whatever urges you might have biologically that make you most happy or fulfilled before you die. And if we have these false ideas of who we are and where we come from and what we're expected to do with our lives, then we're not going to find the true answer to how a disciple of Jesus makes the most of their life. We have to know who we are and what we're meant for. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So we celebrate the word of God at Hill City because the word reveals Jesus and Jesus changes everything. John went over some background information on Ephesians last week as we read about the armor of God. And as a reminder, Ephesus was um, the capital city of Asia Minor during this time. It was a huge hub of commerce and religion, the two of which weren't separated back then. They went hand in hand, your business and your religious views. And the famous temple of Artemis was there. In fact, it was a silversmith who made idols of Artemis who caused the big riot that drove Paul out of the city when he visited there. You can find that in Acts 18. The letter of Ephesians is really unique, and a lot of people think it might have been because Paul had somebody who helped with a large portion of it, or even that it was a traveling letter that was meant for a broad group of churches that was passed around uh, from one to the other. Either way, Paul starts the letter with a beautiful theological section in chapters 1 through 3, and we find this uh, argument for who we are as believers and what God's big story is. So we're going to read pretty quickly through chapter 1, even though you could really dig into it deeper. And we're looking specifically at the way this chapter describes our story. We're starting here because we have to know who we are in order to make the most of our lives. So we're going to start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I know that was quite a large chunk to read all at once, but if you're looking specifically for those things that tell us our story, the story of God redeeming us, you can catch a lot of different things. So we've been redeemed in Christ. We've been chosen before the foundations of the world. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been forgiven of sins and given God's grace. We've been given understanding of the mystery of the gospel, saved for the praise of his glory, marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit, promised the inheritance of eternal life, given wisdom, revelation, hope, and power. And it's not any power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We've been filled with his life, and we are part of the church, the fullness of Jesus. If you put your trust in Jesus, that is who you are. This is who we are as the church. This is who we are as children of God, redeemed in Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We could sit here so much longer and unpack every detail of that chapter. But in the short time we have, I want to talk also about purpose. If this is our position, who we are in Christ, what is our purpose? There are a lot of competing stories out there about purpose. And unfortunately, a lot of them come from inside the church. If you were like a 90s or early 2000s youth group kid, then you know that there was a lot of push to do the most that was possible for God, that you were supposed to become a missionary, you're supposed to save all your friends, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there are plenty of youth conferences and other things that push this idea. It's not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but it passed along a message that many of us still believe today that our purpose and our value is in the things we do or accomplish for God. Specifically, the spiritual things we accomplish. Because the pinnacle of being a 90s or early 2000s youth group kid was to become a pastor, right? That was supposed to be the peak of all spiritual life and success in living out your uh, life for God. But unfortunately, a lot of people who followed that model ended up crashing and burning because they lived out of a false purpose of doing things for God. Osgenes puts it well, we are not called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. We are not called first to special work, but to God. The key to answering the call is to be devoted to no one and to nothing above God himself. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. 
And it kind of put the cart before the horse with all of that youth group culture of doing things for God because you can't do anything for God if you aren't in relationship with God. He's saying two very important things about purpose. First, our purpose in life as Christians is relationship with God. Or as the old catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Second, this purpose is supposed to transform everything we do because we are in relationship. And it does this in not just the spiritual ways that we've talked about, like becoming a pastor or getting involved in full-time ministry. As we walk with God, we are transformed day by day, step by step. And this is not something that's reserved for some A-list elite class of Christians. This is supposed to transform our entire lives. What a sad waste of talent it would be if a gifted human rights lawyer became a pastor. Because they have so much to do in showing Jesus to the world. What about people in business, like entrepreneurs? The false model I talked about would say that their value is just in how much money they can give from their business ventures to the church. But in fact, they have a role that nobody else can do. They have a role in deciding how their business structures things, how they take care of their employees, and how they impact the world in their industry. And we could go through a lot of other examples, a lot of other roles, talking about stay-at-home parents and how they influence and shape their children, how sales clerks can be honest and helpful, how contractors and engineers and architects can build beautiful and safe and helpful structures. And all of these bring glory to God because they bring attention to his goodness and to our relationship with him. If we look again at Ephesians, and this time in chapter 2, we get a summary of what we've said here about position and purpose. Go to 2, starting in verse 1, or sorry, starting in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's really interesting if you look at 9 and 10, it says, not by works, our position is in Jesus as children of God, not because of the things we're doing for God, but also that out of that relationship, we're created to do good works and that God's prepared in advance the things we're supposed to do as his children. So we know our position as Christians, hopefully, that we're saved from wrath, we're redeemed by God's love. And even now, like those verses said, we are seated with him in victory. And our purpose is showing this off to the world, showing off God's wondrous grace through our saving relationship with him and showing off his workmanship and how he individually made each of us. And how can we make the most of our lives? 
we see this too in these verses, by good work. Some would call a life of service. The practice of serving God and others, or as Jesus put it, loving God and loving others. In your rooted books, if you're doing the homework with us every week, it puts it this way. We are invited to be God's agents of reconciliation, mercy, truth, wisdom, and hope. We do this by following the example of Jesus who came to serve us, who lowered himself from the highest position as a sacrifice for us. And he did this for the sake of the whole world, not just the Jews, not just Americans, but a global scale God worked and is working through his church and through all of us corporately if we will join in and be a part of it. And to this end, he imparted gifts to the church so we would be equipped for the cause. Ephesians 4.12 says, He gave gifts to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The practice of making the most of our lives, of following Jesus, starts with surrender. And we have to continue to surrender our lives to him every day, surrendering every good gift he's given us, every talent, all of our education, all of our training, everything to him. Do you have gifts of administration or service, exhortation? Surrender them to him. Do you have talent or education in a specific field? That is just as spiritual as standing up here. Surrender those gifts to him. Do you have artistic talent? You don't have to be a churchy artist. You can just display God's glory by letting him work through you in everything you do. God doesn't want every person in this room to be in full-time ministry. And nobody there is any better than anybody sitting in these seats. He wants us to be practitioners, creative disciples who are seeking out the best way to follow him in the place he has put us. There are people that you guys can reach with the gospel that I can't. There are people you know that John doesn't know. There are people in this room, other people in the church, who you have relationship with in a way that means you can encourage them in a way nobody else who leads in this church can. There are industries that you can influence for good. Your gifts, your talents, your job, your family, your life are all arenas where you can love God and love others. All it takes is surrendering those things so that God can then empower you to show him off to the world. Andy Crouch wrote this. So in every workplace, Christians should be those who speak up most quickly and sacrifice their own privileges most readily. For those whose image-bearing has been compromised by that organization's pattern of neglect. In every society, Christians should be the most active in using their talents on behalf of those that society considers marginal or unworthy. In every place where the gospel isn't known, Christians should be finding ways to proclaim Jesus as the world's true Lord and the image of the invisible God. The world has a different story than the one we've been talking about. The world has a story where the value of your life or how to make the most of it is judged by how many likes you get on Facebook or the vacations you can go on, 
your wealth, your status, how much uh, you're revered in your job or in your family. The world has a story where your purpose is to do whatever you can to raise your position or to make your life comfortable. But the end of the world's story is emptiness. For a lot of people, it's a pass into great nothingness where the events of this life are forgotten, serving no purpose at all. But God's story is different. God's story that says that what you do in this life actually matters. How you participate in his family and his plans and his kingdom matters. How you follow Christ matters. So if you can remember your position as a child of God, if you've trusted Jesus, that you are saved now and forever, then you can remember the work being done in your character at the present time to make you more like Christ is going to go on forever into eternity. And you can remember your purpose to glorify God and remember that you'll be doing that now and forever into eternity. And if you remember the practice of loving God and loving others has eternal ramifications, that you're just part of a dress rehearsal for the big play, or as C.S. Lewis put it, part of the first chapter of the story that goes on and on forever, then you can remember that this life has meaning and the most you can do with it is surrender it to God. We're going to have um, a time of reflection and prayer as we think about um, these questions. And I just have a few for you to think through right now. First, what about your idea of who you are needs to be rewired? I think there's probably some people in here, we even talked about this in life groups, uh, in our life group last week, that have a real false idea of who they are. They've read the Bible. They know that God is at work. Uh, they know they're saved, but they have a really hard time remembering that God views them as valuable and that they are his children and that they're dearly loved, that he's not up there waiting to catch you doing something wrong. He's not up there waiting to mark down all your offenses, that if you're a child of God, if you've surrendered your life to him, then you're in forgiveness, that you've experienced that, that you have grace. So what about your position? What about what you think about your life needs to be rewired so that you have knowledge of your true identity in Christ? And then what about your purpose needs to be rethought? What have you thought is the ultimate aim of your life? Is it making the most money you can so you can pay your bills? Is it about, uh, you know, forming relationships to see if they can give you a leg up in your career? What has it been about? Even good things can turn to bad things when you do this because you can have the intention of being there for your children, not realizing that you've made an idol out of your kids because the aim is to see them as the most successful they can be instead of seeing them love Jesus. So what about your purpose needs to be rethought? And then how are you putting into practice the love of others and the love of God? What 
are you doing right now in your life? Not because you have to, not because you have to make it to some certain mark to be considered a Christian, but what are you doing because you've experienced the love of God and you want to share that with others? So what about your position needs to be rethought? What about your purpose? And then how are you putting into practice the love of God? We've been reading a lot out of Ephesians today. And so I think I'd uh, just like to end with a prayer that Paul wrote in that book in chapter 3. And uh, we'll, we'll close with that. In chapter 3, Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in his love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
sorry, just meet it with your heart.
not for a moment. We are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for your son to know you, God, to have a relationship with you. God, I pray in this moment that you would meet us here. As we've all gathered to declare your praise today, God, I pray that you would strengthen us, God, for the race that you have made for us, God, the things, the purposes, the plans that you have for us, God. I pray that there would be a supernatural strengthening in this room right now in the name of Jesus. God, give us focus, give us vision for what you have, God, for us to do in your kingdom. God, for us to go into this world and share the love of Jesus that we have, the light that is on the inside of us, God. God, we just, with everything that we have, with everything that we are, God, we declare that you are holy, that you are mighty, God, that you are worthy, and that it's all for you. As you're meeting us here, Lord, and the Spirit is working in our hearts, I pray that you would just begin to mend hearts now. Mend the brokenness, God, and the places that we seek to fill, God, the things that are just so empty. May they be filled with you, with your love, with your presence, God. May your spirit lead us and guide us. As we continue on this amazing journey, God, hand in hand with you, I pray that we would take you with us, that we would leave this place with you today, God, that we would want you to go with us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us today as we honor you in this place. We love you so much, God. We thank you for this time spent with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated today. Hey, guys. I'm Phil. I'm the youth pastor with here with Hill City. And I just want to do an announcement for the Desperation Conference. Um, Thank you. We'll be going to Despo from the 15th of the 17th of July. I know it says the 14th through the 16th. We want to take that Friday and have a special event with the kids just as a group after the conference. So a little bit about Despo. It's just a conference where we're going to spend three days in the presence of God, hearing different speakers, doing worship, and really an environment where there's other kids and other youth groups that are going through the same thing. So there's just something about being in the presence of God for that period of time with our students, that's really special. We've done it, I think, three times before, and it's been wonderful each and every time. So if you can let me know before March 1st, we're gonna get it set up on Planning Center tonight. If you're interested in going, or if your student's interested in going, we'll have the early registration rate, which is $185. And if you are kind of still deciding or don't know what the schedule is gonna look like after March 1st, there's still time leading up to the event to let us know, but it'll be $225 after that. So I'm going to show you a quick clip of the Desperation Conference so you guys can see what it's all about.
All right, so again, if your students are interested, please let me know as soon as you can so we can get you guys signed up. It's going to be a great time, and we're really looking forward to it. Thank you, Phil. Phil is in charge of the youth. What a saint. So much patience, and we appreciate you. Thank you. And Lindsay for allowing him <laughs> to deal with our crazy kids. Um, thank you guys for being here today. We're just going to um, take offering now. So if the guys can come up, um, I'll just pray really quickly over that. Dear God, thank you um, for meeting us here today. I thank you for each person here um, that no matter where they're at, God, that you're meeting them um, as long as they invite you. So, God, we thank you for that. And um, I just pray that you would bless every person here, um, that you would bless what's given and that you would give us wisdom on the ways to give it and, and let us be um, a blessing to our community from what they give. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, can I have all my ladies stand up, all the ladies in the house stand up? So you are personally invited to our If Women's Conference I'm like trying to look you all in the eye and say, this is your personal invite from Hill City Church. And we would love, love, love to have you. You can sit down. I'm sorry. Some of you feel very awkward. I apologize. You can scream at me in your head, um, but don't scream at me in person. Um, I'm sorry. It made you stand up. But I just want you to understand that um, March 6th and 7th, we're having a conference, and um, it's actually uh, called IF, and they do it in Dallas, Texas. But what they encourage you to do is to do it with your community. So ours is coming up March 6th and 7th. I think there's some pictures maybe of last year. Um, don't feel too young. Don't, don't seem like, oh, I'm too young to go. I'm too old to go. I mean, I think we had anywhere from like 18 to 90 last year. So you should definitely fit in that category somewhere. If you don't, you're still invited. You're invited. It is. It's here. Yeah, it's here. And you can, um, we'll be out in the lobby, Hannah and I, and we can help send you the link to help you sign up. It's just a time of refreshing, um, getting to know other ladies, and just being spoken to. And so you are totally invited. And we would love to have you, but sign up quickly because we need to make sure we have enough food for you. There's always lots of really good food, um, gifts, things like that. So we want to make sure that we make room for you and that you make this a priority. And I promise you won't regret it. If you do, I will give you your money back personally. Um, but you're invited. Thank you guys for being here. And um, we're just going to we're just gonna go. So I'll pray and we will go home. All right. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for every person here. Um, I pray that you would uh, be with us in our hearts this week as we go, no matter where we're at, God, that we realize you're walking with us. So thank you for who you are, and I thank you for these people. As they go this week, just be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.